uh, managers. And by that, I mean managing what God has put in our hands. You know, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about uh, this whole thing where it says that, that uh, we shouldn't be uh, comparing leader against leader and, you know, taking sides and church being all chopped up and divided in little segments where people don't like each other or, you know, all that whole kind of thing, but that we should just just join with one another and, and, and be bonded to each other, but, it, but that we, we're bonded around a common task. You know, it's an interesting thing to, to see what we just saw in the video about our church and, and our view toward world mission. And, and actually, somebody brought it up in staff that we would really like to think about the, the possibility, just to put in your brain, the possibility of everybody in our whole congregation at some time or another going on a mission trip, at some time in your life going on a mission trip. You know, I, I take all these trips all the time, and uh, some of them aren't so safe. I, I just found out that I'm, uh, I'm behind on shots that I need. I'm going to the Ivory Coast in a few weeks, and uh, there's certain things that you can catch down there that I didn't think about, and I got to uh, run and see if I can get a bunch of shots. I wouldn't want to take you there. Uh, but I'm going to Mongolia in a year and a half, and I'd love to take you there. Uh, Carl's been in the Philippines last week, and uh, really, really, really uh, just his heart bled for what he saw down there, and he's going to be sharing with that, and we're going to be seeing more of it. And there's possibilities of us going places and doing things that, that we would just never do on our own. But tonight I want to talk to you about things that are a little bit more personal, uh, personal a little bit more down to where you live, and, 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 and being faithful as a, a servant of God. Um, Paul starts talking in chapter 4. He's been saying the negative things about the people uh, dividing up over he and Apollos. Uh, Paul started the church. Apollos came along and pastored it afterwards. It grew under Apollos. And so people have taken sides. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. And the, the, the sad, weird thing is that Paul and Apollos were, were tight buddies. You know, it's like Aaron Suzuki and I started this church. After, after preaching that sermon last week and, and doing what I did, I, I write for a church planter's blog, some website. And so I, I wrote about the di difference between when Ruby and I planted the first church all by ourselves and how much better it was when we came over here with Aaron and Stephanie Suzuki. We also, also had a team of 20-some-odd other people that came, but but just that they were our, our closest friends in the world during this time and, 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 and how friendship counts for something. And, and so here's a church in Corinth discounting the friendship of Apollos and Paul. And these two guys are best buds. And, and so they're going, get off it. But when they say get off it, you got to get onto something when you get off of something. And what they say is that, that, that you should get onto your role as being faithful as a steward of what the Lord uh, has put in your hand. We talked a little bit about that last week, and, and, and I, I just want us to, to be thinking about this, but, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking getting into this sermon, I, I, I'm going to tell you a story, it's going to kind of go on, I want to start with it. About three years ago, um, I, I began to really feel a real heavy weight in my heart to pray for my brother. My, my brother, uh, I believe, is a Christian and has been since he was a child. I actually, when I was probably about 12 years old, and he was six, I prayed with him to receive the Lord. And we both grew up in church. And then my brother, as a teenager, I had long since left Portland, Oregon, but as a teenager, he had some really sour experiences in church, some things that really turned him off to church and, in a way, turned him off to God. 
And so uh, church just hasn't been a thing for him. Uh, he went through a very painful divorce a number of years ago. And at that time, he sought refuge in a church. And that wasn't a good experience either. It, you know, there are some churches that aren't a good experience, sadly to say. And um, so I, I just, I, I, I keep a prayer list. You know, I have this thing called Toodledoo. It's a little app in, in here. To, it's a to-do thing. And, and so I just keep one whole category of it is just a, a, thing, a list of things that I pray about. And, and I have several people in there. I, I was talking to a little girl tonight. She came up and greeted me. And, and she's been going through some struggles at school and stuff. And, and her name is in my prayer list. I pray for her every day. But I, I started praying for my brother that he would just come closer to the Lord. And, and I, I, I think that we, we, we look at things that sometimes are um, they're not a big deal. They're not go out and, and win the whole world to Christ or, or, or go out and change, you know, some big social ill. It's just stuff close to home. Be, be faithful to your spouse. Be there for your children. I was talking to a pastor earlier in the week, who's very, very concerned that he, he's, his success that he's experiencing in the ministry is tearing him away from his children. And he's trying to figure out ways to build barriers. And, and he's looking at my wife and I and the way we lived our life and the way we, we raised our children. We, we put boundaries around our family and we protected uh, down to the certain TV programs that the kids liked. Uh, you could come over and have cut your arm off, and I wasn't going to counsel with you or do something because I was going to watch TV with my kids. I, I, I felt that I have a priority in my life to my children. These are my assignment. Am I making sense when I say this? Now, if you, got, if you cut your arm off, I probably would interrupt for that, but you know what I'm saying. But, but, but down to the people that you pray for, down to the people that you, you know that you are called to befriend this person that's friendless. Uh, down to the times that, that the Lord will speak to you and, and, and say that you, you need to go share with somebody something that you have or something that you have financially. You know, I, we, we're moving and we're, we're in that process of just culling and culling and culling. And, and my answer to everything is the Salvation Army. And, 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 and that's not my wife's answer at all. She feels this strong responsibility. If we've got something, give it away, to give it away to somebody that we know and that we know that will appreciate it. And she's faithful to that, and that's a good thing. And so as we talk about the word faithful tonight, I, 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 I want us to think in terms of this. I, there's a doctor that I know that, that drives his, his staff crazy because he'll spend so much time with a patient who he needs to spend time with. See, that's serving God. That's serving God. And sometimes we, we are, are, unfortunately, we compartmentalize our lives, and, and, and we go to visit God on Saturday night. And we visit God for 20 minutes in the morning, and then the rest of the time we're just out there in the world. And we forget that God wants to be with us 24-7, and that a lot of the things that are in our life that we just see as sort of mundaneness are really a calling from the Lord, and he's calling us to be faithful to that calling. As we get into the scripture, it's, this is one of those nights where I'm preaching the whole sermon, then we'll read the verse, okay? Um, uh, sorry, I just I get wound up. But one of the things that I want you to notice is he never ever says here, well, let me just read it. I'll, I'll, change, I'll change gears here. Let me read it. Verse 1, he says, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants, people of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Okay, look at us as mere servants. The word servants there 
uh, in the Greek, it actually is a word that, 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 that our, our, our nearest way of saying it would be to say an under rower. This is the people who on the Roman galleys, you've ever seen pictures of the ancient Roman ships? They had little sails, but they had a, a line of slaves below deck. And those slaves lived their lives chained to their seat. And, they, and, and all they do is to pull the row, pull the oar. They were the under rowers. They made the ships go. And in battle, uh, when they crashed the ships into each other, these guys were in, in very dangerous situation. And, and, and Paul says, Apollos and I are, are mere under rowers. And we've been entrusted with explaining the mysteries of Christ. Well, to a degree we all have, but to a, a certain degree they had more than we have. You know, Paul introduced the gospel to the West. Uh, that's far more than I'll ever do in my life. Uh, they had a, a real heavy weight of responsibility. We may have a lighter weight of responsibility, but we're to see ourselves as they saw themselves as servants of Christ. Uh, and, and, and then he uses this, this word. He could have used uh, different Greek terms for, for servant. There's several Greek terms that translate into English. There's a term for bond slave. There's a term for somebody who's a bond slave is somebody who's sold their self. I'll sell you seven years of my life, so I'll be a bond slave. There's other people who are captured slaves. These are the, the, the slaves of the slaves that he's talking about. And he says, that's us, and we're here to just do whatever God asks us to do. And he's kind of putting it out there. We're the example for you guys to follow. And he says, we've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. And the question that I have to ask you is, what have you been put in charge of? What have you been put in charge of? I've been put in charge of praying for my brother. I've been put in charge of praying for this little girl that's been going through some struggles at school. I've been put in charge of being a good husband to my wife. I've been put in charge of being a good grandparent. And I have three grandchildren. But I, I feel that God put me in charge of being a good grandparent to one of my grandchildren, my grandson, more than my two granddaughters. My, my wife is very, very close to my two granddaughters. I'm close to them, but I'm far closer to my grandson. And I, I was on a trip years ago. I, I had thoughts of, you know, maybe I'll hit 70, 75 years old, and, and I'm going to move to Anacortes, Washington. It's, a, it's the sun belt of Washington State. It probably, you know, never gets colder than 20 degrees there or something. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, and, and I was up there looking, checking out property to buy. And I felt very strongly convicted, just driving down the road, just having, having looked at something I really, 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 really liked. And I felt this check in my spirit. No, no, you need to be here because of your relationship with Isaac, my grandson. So I look at that, and I go, this is something God put me in charge. I'm, I'm not to take the place of his parents. He's got wonderful parents. I'm supposed to play the role of a grandparent in my grandson's life. And I'm supposed to play that role as an under rower. I'm there to serve him. I'm there to make his life a better. Am I making sense when I say this? Well, it goes on and he says in verse 2, Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. A person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. The King James Version of the Bible uses the word steward for the word manager. It means the same thing. Somebody who manages somebody else's affairs. Okay, somebody put me in charge of something that belongs to them. And it says in the King James Version, the old Shakespearean Version, it says, moreover, it is required of a steward that a person be found faithful. 
it is required of a steward that a person be found faithful. Here it says, must be faithful. I like the King James better because of the word required. What's required of us? That we're faithful. Now, what you'll notice isn't required is that you're successful. Ever since I was a young man, that, that, that really stood out to me. It's not required that I'm successful. It's required that I'm faithful. You know, I had several people come to me last, last week. I, I told everybody that in a few weeks I'm going to Africa. And I'll, I'll be preaching here on Saturday night. And then I'll be preaching on Sunday morning via video. And I'm, I'm going to Cape Town. And I'm going to, to the Ivory Coast. And, and, um, and on that trip, I'll, I'll be gone 13 days. But I'll actually be only teaching five. The rest of the time is travel times. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very, very long journey. And I was thinking this week, I, w- I was assessing, you know, why do I do this? Why do I do this? And the honest truth is, what, what, I'm, what I'm doing is, is kind of a gamble. You know, there, there's a, a guy that uh, is going to come to our church in a, about a month from Japan. And he, he was a, a failed pastor. At a, and he came to a conference that we did here in Waikiki for Japanese pastors. And, and he had failed. He'd left the ministry. And somebody brought him to this conference. And, 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 and we just got into, let's not do church in the churchy way. Let's just do it like we read about it in the book of Acts. Because that's all I ever teach anywhere I go. And he bought into it. And today he's pastoring 150 people in Japan, which is... Uh, it's, it's about six times the size of the average church in Japan. It's not very big. And there's a couple churches now. There's one church ten times the size of his, but there's, there's about five that are over 1,000. But a church of 150, you're in the top 10%. And I was just at this conference, and I, I remember in those years I was doing these conferences, and, and I, I was meeting with these guys who were all kind of middle-aged guys, and they all... It seemed like they, they wanted me to come to entertain them. They didn't really want to learn anything. And so I actually quit doing it. I actually uh, decided I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm only going to go to where we've got disciples, where we've raised up churches. I'm going to pour my, my life into those guys. And so, But I got roped into, for the last three years, going back to these evangelical circles and speaking to these conferences. And, and I, I went to a conference three years ago. I did, they wanted me to do the same thing three years in a row in January in the Japan Alps with 12 feet of snow on the ground. And uh, I, I, I went there, and three years ago, I challenged the guys, and I, and I, and I, I, I get them talking. It's real interactive what I do. I, I get them because I, I felt so much time that I would be speaking and people would be sort of mentally arguing with what I had to say that I turned the whole thing that I teach into questions. And so I'll ask questions, and sometimes we just answer them in an open forum like this. But then I ask questions, and I break them up into small groups, and I, and I give them time to chew on it and to talk to each other. And I always tell them, make sure you take notes on what you said. Because what you say is far more important than what I say, because it's the opinion that you formulated while we were together. And that's the thing that you're going to end up doing something about, rather than me telling you something and you go home and don't do it. And... Um, but one of the questions that I do, and, and I, and I kind of do it in a way that I assess people, I, I tell everybody, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I want you to get ready, but don't do anything until I tell you. Get a, get a piece of blank paper and get a pen and sit just like this. And when I say go, then I want you to write the names 
of your three closest, and I've spent a lot of time talking about this so they know what I'm talking about, your three closest disciples. Go. And, I, and, and, and at that thing three years ago, I saw a couple guys immediately write down some names. But I saw other people sit there and I gave them eight minutes. And, and by eight minutes in, they had a couple of names on the piece of paper. I saw other guys sit there like this for eight minutes and they couldn't even write down a single name. I was saddened by that. The Bible doesn't say go and make churches. The Bible doesn't even say go make Christians. It says go make disciples. And that's a personal, close, up close. I'm relating to you. It's, it's the, the, the best other English word we have for it is mentoring or coaching. And they couldn't name anybody. This time I did it. And everybody, everybody has, has a list of people that they're discipling. And several of these guys are multiplying churches. And this, this one guy uh, came and he, he's just sort of outstanding. They, he, he's got a whole bunch of young guys in his church. He's ready to rip. He's, he's getting ready to go out and start several churches. And uh, he asked if he could come over to our church and we would host, you know, let him come to mini church and, and just hang around and learn for a week in the last part of March. And we said, oh, yeah, that'd be wonderful. He went back to his church and, and uh, told them that I'm going to go on a, on a trip to Hawaii and my family's going with me and we're going to go and we're going to learn from Hope Chapel. And would any of you guys like to come? And 39 people are coming from that church. <laughs> I'm going to South Africa because there's a guy down there that I never met in my life. His name is Xavier Andranze. Andranze. And I, and I met him last year in Johannesburg. I got kind of roped into going to Johannesburg. Didn't really want to go. I went to Turkey, and then I went to Johannesburg. I get to Johannesburg, and I find out this guy, he's about 45 years old. He's now the, the head of the denomination for the whole continent of Africa, a job he really loathes because it's very political. But he got a hold of a tape series that I did on how to start a church about 15 or 18 years ago. And he's listened to that thing so much that he actually sort of felt like he knows me personally, although we had never met and he'd never heard anything else probably that I ever taught other than that tape series. But I'm going to South Africa all the way to Cape Town to meet with 25 young men that this guy has been discipling and he's got them ready, and they, they want to go out and launch a movement of churches. And so what, what I think happens is this. Every so often you meet an Xavier. Every so often you meet somebody like this, Pastor O'Connell. But a lot of times when I go out and I travel, I, I, I come back, and I'm not sure anything happened at all. I'm not sure anything happened at all. All I know is I feel called to do it. I have the means to do it. I have a church that's tolerant enough to, that lets me do it. And so I'm going to be faithful to do it, whether I can see some rampant, raging success or not. Am I making sense with you? So God's called you, and he's put you in charge of certain things, and he's called you to be faithful. And you may not see success, but he's called you to be faithful. And uh, the word faithful actually... There's several English words for the same Greek word in the Bible. Uh, there's, you know, Greek was translated into English, right? And, and uh, sometimes Greek is more colorful than English. They'll, like, like for love, they have four different words for love, and we only have L-O-V-E. 
with four letters, they have four different words. Um, uh, but the word that, that we translate faithful, uh, they got one word, and we translate it these different ways. We, we translate it as faith. We translate it as faithful. We translate it as trustworthy. We translate it as steady. And we translate it as steadfast. Now, I like the word steadfast the best of all those words. You know, I think you can kind of take your pick. Uh, if, if it's the same Greek word and they're translating it five different ways, you can kind of take your pick. Steadfast. In other words, it, 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 I won't be moved. I just do the thing that I'm called to do, and I keep doing it. It's that kind of faithfulness. That I won't be driven off my mark. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow a real straight line here, and, and nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to distract me. I'm going where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to be that. And so... I, I think of being steadfast in, in, in my calling. So, back to my brother. I prayed for my brother for at least three years. I'm not sure exactly how long it was, but at least three years, pretty much every day. And um, not much happened. I, I'd, I'd phone him up, and, and sometimes he wouldn't even answer my phone calls. Sometimes he would. We're, and, and it's not like there's lack of love. It's just we're busy guys, and that's just the way the world was. And then one time I phoned him, and I, I, this was about um, eight months ago, and I, I get a text back that says, do you text? And I go, yes, I text. And so then my brother and I started texting each other, and, and it's like I'm still praying for him, and we're texting like five, six times a day every day. And uh, it's like I, I, I regained a brother because distance is just, you know, taking its toll on us and all. And then my... In last September, I had to go do a teaching thing in Oregon. I went up and I spent some time uh, with my brother. I got to spend a whole day and then a whole evening. We went to dinner, and uh, and and we got to hang out. And 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 I didn't go preach to him about Jesus. We just hung out. We just had a good time. The Lord came up in the conversation, but you know, but but my 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 goal, my prayer goal is my brother would get close to the Lord. And so. He came out here to Hawaii uh, uh, just right around Christmas time, right after Thanksgiving, and, and he'd, he'd been real sick the day before he flew and thought he wasn't going to get to make the trip. And the, the sickness that he was having was he was terribly breathless, and, and, uh, and he was having panic anxiety attacks and, and all this kind of stuff. In fact, he's on Social Security disability because of all this. And uh, Well, actually, that's because he, he, he injured his neck real bad, and he's a concrete finisher. And he um, came to Hawaii, and he, and he felt really good for a couple of days. And we went and hung around and had a really good time. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, he's going to Walmart with my sister, and he couldn't go in the store. He panicked. And they took him back to the house, and, he, and, and, and the panic has caused him to be short of breath. And, and uh, he locked himself in the bathroom for a couple of hours, and, and uh, he was really struggling. He, he actually got to where he was speaking incoherently, and he's locked in the bathroom, and and they're freaking out. They're not knowing what to do. They called me. Uh, I, I was at Alpha. I talked to somebody at Alpha. They said, call 911. They'll know what to do. They called 911. Uh, what they, when they get him out of the bathroom, what they find out is that his CO2 level in his blood is so high that that's what's caused the panic. He thought the panic was causing him to be breathless. He's got emphysema from smoking for so many years. The breathlessness was causing the panic to happen. And they had to work on him for about an hour and a half trying to oxygenate him enough before they felt safe to put him into the, to the ambulance to take him to the hospital. He's in the hospital, and at, at first he's 
semi-conscious, semi-unconscious. We went in and saw him, and he kept ripping the oxygen mask off of his face. And uh, the doctors told my sister, we don't want to intubate him, put him into ICU and put a tube down his throat because as bad off as he is, he'll probably have to have that tube down his throat for the rest of his life. And uh, then they had to do that. They, they put him on whatever that stuff was that Michael Jackson died from to, to put him under. And uh, five times he still ripped the tube out of his mouth, out of his throat. And I was there one of the times when it happened. And the doctors had basically given up. They told my sister, he'll never leave this place alive. He won't, wa he won't ever leave this hospital alive. And then the, the, that, that was the bad news. The good news was two days later when they said, we're going to take him off of oxygen completely. Uh, either he'll breathe on his own or he won't breathe on his own. That was good news. Either he will or he won't. Well, the day after that, I went in the hospital. He's sitting up without any oxygen and all talking, laughing, joking, and eating everything in sight. And it's like, huh? You know, nobody can get this. Nobody can figure this thing out. And... Um, uh, he was all set up to go into hospice. If he left the hospital, that all evaporated. Uh, they gave him some medicine that he breathes at night or something, and, and he's just gotten, he went from 113 pounds to now he weighs 146 pounds. This is all since Christmas week. And I'm telling you, this guy is fired up on the Lord. He had one of those out-of-body weird experiences. Um, he, he knows a miracle took place, uh, that he shouldn't be walking around today. The doctors have told him that very clearly. And so he went and started talking to his friend in Arizona about Jesus Christ and what Jesus can do in your life. And his friend has got some real things that he's struggling with in his life. The guy flew out from Arizona to Hawaii to be with my brother because of what my brother was doing, passing the baton about what the Lord can do in your life. Uh, he's now... Uh, working on his daughter, and apparently she has uh, really engaged the Lord. He's back in Washington State. He flew home a few days ago. He's fired up. He's fired up. Uh, while he was here, he was, uh, he'd come to our church the first Sunday when he got here, and he loved it in Kahala, and then as soon as he got out of the hospital, he was trying to drag everybody that was around him to church. So if we're faithful, sometimes we're not going to be successful. Or sometimes we're going to be successful, but we can't see the success. Sometimes the, the investment that you make in somebody may pay off after you die. You know, I look at the Apostle Paul. When I read the book of Acts, I read it all the time. Uh, when I look at the, at, at the book of Acts, most of the places where Paul visited, you would have to say he was unsuccessful. He maybe started a little church, but then he got beat up or whipped or whatever. Uh, in, in one place, he, he, he lists all the times that he was whipped, all the times he was shipwrecked, all the times he was stoned and left for dead. And, 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 and you'd go, this is a fairly unsuccessful life. And yet, everybody in human history will tell you that it was the Apostle Paul that Christianized the Roman Empire, which Christianized Europe, which brought the gospel to the point that more people worship Jesus Christ than anybody else on the planet today without this guy's saying it's required of a manager that a person be faithful and it's required of me that I be faithful and not worrying about apparent not success, lack of success. But put one foot in front of the other and stay steadfast. Without that, 
we wouldn't be sitting in this room tonight. We can draw a line through history right back to this man who wrote these words. Am I making sense when I say this? And so he goes on verse 3 and he says, As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any human authority. I don't really care what you think. That's a good translation of that, isn't it? He goes, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. And then he says this, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. And you ought not to. You ought not to. You know, I have a friend who, um, well, he's, he's passed away now. He was my pastor when I was a boy. And, and then later on, he was a, like a bishop in our denomination. And he assigned me to my first church. I, I, I had this feeling that God had called me to this empty church building in Manhattan Beach, California to go and start a church. And, and I went to him and asked him if I could do it. I was a youth pastor in a church and pretty successful at that. And <clears throat> I went to Dr. Van Cleve and asked him if I could go to Manhattan Beach because I heard that they were going to close the church and sell the property. And he told me no. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine with me because I really like being a youth pastor. And I had just read a magazine about the oldest youth pastor in the United States was 75 years old and had a couple hundred kids in his youth group. And, and I wanted to be that guy. And so I told Dr. Van Cleve about that, and I said, so, so I'm just happy. I'll just go back to doing what I'm doing. And he goes, oh, so that's the way it is, huh? And I go, yeah. And, and he says, well, I, and he talked like Jack Benny. Well, Ralph. Some of you are old enough to remember Jack Benny. I, I just wanted to send you to a church that already had some people because I wanted to make it easier on you. And I go, well, I feel God called me here. And if you don't feel that God called me here, I'm staying where I'm at. And he goes, well, in that case, of course you can have the church. And Hope Chapel was born at that moment. Hope Chapel was born at that moment. And, um, but boy, when we went out and, and, and we started this whole thing, uh, it didn't look very successful. Twelve people showed up the first week. Eighteen people showed up the second week. I guess you could say that was wondrous success. We grew by 50%. But it was slow sledding for a long, long, long time. Paul says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. And he says, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Dr. Van Cleve, the guy I just told you about, I, I, his wife told me a story once um, that he had been a missionary in Puerto Rico. And he was pastoring this church of about 200 people. And it was in the old days when you went to church on Sunday morning and you went back on Sunday night for another sermon, you went back on Wednesday night for another sermon. And, and he preached a Sunday night sermon and, 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 you know, every so often pastors lay an egg. And uh, uh, I do from time to time. And you go home and you just feel terrible about yourself because it's like, oh my gosh. But then somebody told me that people only remember two weeks after you, they heard something, they only remember about 1% of it. So I figured if I bomb, two weeks later you won't remember, so I'm happy. But Dr. Van Cleve said he just laid an egg this night. And so their, their house was adjacent to the church. And as soon as he got done preaching, he called somebody else up to close the service. And he went over and went to bed. 
And his wife never came home for four hours. And when she got home, he was trying to figure out why she was home so late. And, and she, she goes, where were you? And, and, and he goes, well, I did so bad, I just came home to hide. And she goes, you don't understand, revival broke out in this church. She goes, people got on their knees and started praying, calling out to God. And that church doubled in attendance over the next few months. And, and everybody traced it back to that night. So when we sit around and try to judge, did we do good or did we not do good, uh, sometimes you can just get really down on yourself. What you ought to judge is this, was I faithful? Was I faithful? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Because if you did what you're supposed to do, you did what you're supposed to do. And whether it was a raging success or it looked like a bomb to you, it doesn't really matter very much. Paul says here, I don't even trust my own judgment. He says in verse 4, my conscience is clear. But that doesn't prove I'm right. All it proves is I did the best I could do. It doesn't prove that I'm right. It's just that my conscience is clear because I was faithful. And then he says, it is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. And then he gets back to the nastiness of the church in Corinth. And unfortunately, we've got to finish with this verse because they were sitting around carping about each other and judging each other. And he says in verse 5, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. The Bible says don't judge lest you be judged, right? Don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. Because that's when everything's going to be made clear. So don't sit around and judge, this person was successful, this person was a failure, this person was this or this person was that, until when the Lord comes, because then he's going to make the righteous judgment. And, and so let's just put all that off for now. And it says, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light, and he will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. We shouldn't waste our time complaining, criticizing, or overly praising somebody. Because God will come, and he'll give to the person what is due. And it reminds me of the scripture in Matthew chapter 25, uh, where it's a, it's, a, it's a parable of the guys that were given a, a talent of money. Now, um, I, I, I read some stuff this week that was pretty amazing. I, I researched the word talent. See, we have a problem with this word in our English Bible because talent to us represents I can play the saxophone or I can sing and dance or do something like that. Uh, it, the word talent was, was simply, actually I wasn't reading something. I, I'm watching this TV series called The Naked Archaeologist, which is really good. And, uh, and, and he, he was talking about a talent was equivalent to nearly a million dollars. And Jesus tells a story, and he, he, it's, it's just a parable, so it's not a real true story. The parables that Jesus told were made-up stories to make a point, right? And so he tells a parable of some rich guy, and he goes away, and, 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 and it's told in two different gospels, two different ways. One says five talents, two talents, one talent. Another says ten talents, five talents, one talent. But, but in both cases, uh, like one guy gets like ten million bucks to invest. Another guy gets five million bucks to invest. Another guy gets one million bucks to invest. The guy who gets the 10 million goes out and doubles it. Pretty cool. The guy who gets the five million goes out and doubles it. Also very cool. The guy who gets the one million buries it in the backyard. And when the guy comes home, the rich guy, he says, I'm giving you back what was yours. 
I know you to be a hard man and hard to, hard, hard to please, and so I didn't want to do anything wrong. I didn't want to make any mistakes, so I did nothing here. Take your money back. And, and it says that the Lord will come to the two who faithfully invested in verse 25, or Matthew 25, 21. He says, he will say to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. There's going to be a day when the Lord's going to come and he's going to look at you and if you've been faithful, he's going to say, you did a great job. You were faithful with the little thing that I gave you. And the interesting thing about this parable, if you stop and think about this, and I don't want to make a big theology about this or get into arguments about it, but if you think about this, he's, the parable is depicting the end of time. Judgment day. And so he says, because you were faithful here on earth, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. So what we call heaven must be something that's more than sitting on a, on a cloud playing a harp. There's going to be responsibility. There's going to be tasks. There's going to be work. There's going to be meaning to it all. You know, when I get my comic book version of heaven, because I, I think that that's where most of us get our theology about heaven, not out of the Bible. Uh, we get it out of what we read in the newspaper, and we get this, and it looks boring to me as I'll get out. And Jesus is saying here, it's going, to have, it's going to be filled with life and meaning and responsibility dependent upon how you did here. You're going to be faithful here. Going to, and then it goes on in verse 29, and the one who did nothing with his assignment. And again, this is coming down to you. What's your assignment? Is it a grandchild? Is it a neighbor? Is it your job? Is it your boss? Is it your friend? Is it this little girl I've been praying for because she's going through some struggles with her family and she's going through some struggles at school and, and, and her family are, 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 are at wit's ends to try to help her? I, I, I just want to pray for her. I, 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 my whole prayer is that this person's family will turn out well. Not just her, but the whole family will get blessed. I'm, I'm faithful to that prayer. To the one who did nothing with his assignment... And Jesus said this, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Even what little you have will be taken away if you did nothing with it. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person who hears the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Another scripture says it this way, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So whether it's the way that you run your business. You know, I know guys in this church that make it a point to hire guys coming out of OCCC. I have a friend who's a master craftsman. He's, he, he's excellent at what he does. He's got an incredible work ethic. He took a fall for somebody else's drug deal when he was a very young man and spent 10 years of his life in San Quentin prison. He's an ace at what he does, but he never gets paid what the guy right next to him gets paid for doing the same amount of work. Why? Because they can take advantage of him because it's hard to get a job if you've been in prison. But there's guys sitting in this room that go, I hire guys out of prison, or I hire guys out of Hinamalka, and I put up with the grief that it causes me because that's what God assigned me to do with my business. So it's not like 
churchy stuff. I mean, there is churchy stuff. We want you all going on a mission trip someday in your life. That would be great. Or we need help in the children's church. That would be wonderful. But, but, but how do you live your life? Are you a faithful servant? Are you steadfast? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we just want to get it. What we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be, and how we're supposed to live. And we want to get it well enough that it works. And that at the end of our life that we can look back and say, like Paul, I don't really care how somebody else looks at my life. And I'm not even sure I trust how I look at my own life. But I do know this, that I've been faithful to what I thought was I was I was supposed to do. And Lord, that we won't be measured by our numbers versus somebody else's numbers or any of those outward signs, but that we lived our life with a pure motive before you and that we were faithful to who we are called to be. Lord, help us all in all of that. Now keep your eyes closed for a minute longer. We're just going to pray another prayer, a prayer that says, I want to invite the Lord into my heart. And if this applies to you, I just want you to join me in prayer. Um, I'm going to pray out loud. You pray silently. But um, I'd like to know if you're praying with me. So if you want to pray with me, uh, I just want you to check on my words in your brain. Don't, don't even move your lips. I don't care. It's a prayer that just says, God, I want you to be the center point of my life. I, I'm coming home. If this is you, I want you to tell me that we're praying together. Uh, everybody around you has their eyes closed, so I'm, I'm just, but I want to know. And so I want you to raise your hand when I count to three if you're going to pray with me. And then we'll pray or we won't pray depending. So one, two, three. I see three hands going up on my left-hand side. Someone in the back. Very good. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight asking for your blessing on our life, the four of us that are praying this prayer. Our prayer is that you would forgive us for everything rotten that we've ever done based upon what your son Jesus Christ did on that cross, the righteous laying down his life for the unrighteous. And we pray that you would come into each of our lives with your peace, with your guidance, with the joy that comes from walking under your leadership, that you would bring meaning to our life and purpose, that our life would count for something, that one day we would look back and say it was well worth it. I'm glad I lived my life this way. God, we pray that you would show yourself to each one of us in very personal ways, that when we pray, that we'll hear a little voice going off in the back of our head talking back to us. That when we read the Bible, that as, as we read it, that it will come alive. And some of us have read the Bible before and it was boring, but that it will come alive because your spirit would breathe upon it and apply it to our lives and to our hearts and our minds. We just entrust our lives to you tonight from this day forward. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Tom, come on up.